Looking forward to what's ahead in 2023, we at The Mortgage Note would like to take a moment to reflect on the successes, challenges, and innovations taking place in the industry. My name is Kimberly Hawes, and I will be the host of this podcast. We want to share what we are seeing in the hopes that you'll participate in future episodes, offering your perspectives and insights. You can feel free to email me anytime at info at themortgagenote.org. For the past two years, much attention has been paid to the housing market in Florida as people move there for more freedoms and warmer weather. But the Sunshine State has also pulled in a number of financial companies. We spoke with Kelly Smallridge, president and CEO of the Business Development Board of Palm Beach County. She is credited with leading the Wall Street South initiative. So again, my name is Kelly Smallridge and I serve as the CEO of Palm Beach County's public-private economic development arm. And we are charged with recruiting new companies from out of state to Palm Beach County, as well as expanding and growing those companies that are in our backyard. If you take a look at the history of Palm Beach County, you will quickly note that we most often are referred to as a tourism destination or a place where you go to retire. But I would tell you, uh, by way of background, I've been doing this 34 years in Palm Beach County, born and raised in the area, and have seen a complete transformation of Palm Beach County's economy. A matter of fact, we went from tourism, real estate, agriculture, and construction to a knowledge, information, technology, life science, and fintech hub. Uh, a short five years ago, uh, or a little bit before COVID, there were about five financial service firms uh, of you know, significance that made the move from New York, Boston, or Greenwich to Palm Beach County. As of today, there are 102 financial service firms that have moved to the area. Prior to COVID, financial service firms that moved to the area would sign about two-year leases, and they would uh, take maybe 3,000 square feet of space. Today, uh, companies are signing eight to 10 year leases. They are taking eight to 50,000 square feet of space. They are legally domiciling in Florida and they are taking their children out of private schools in the Northeast and moving them to Palm Beach County. And I give you the background of the legally domiciling the children enrolled in our schools and the longer term leases as a sign that this is not a dipping of the toe in the sand. This is a move that we call Wall Street South, okay. and it is private equity, venture capital, and hedge funds moving from the Northeast to our area. Just after COVID, 11,000 people moved to Palm Beach County. 41% came from the Northeast. The greatest switch of license plates from New York to Florida is taking place right here in Palm Beach County. And so you may ask yourself why. Well, we have no state tax on personal income, but that's always been the case. We have beautiful beaches, that's always been the case, and it helps. But we have a very pro-business, business-friendly government. And I think that the mere idea that our governor made Florida open for business, our businesses and our schools, our restaurants and our retail, certainly uh, made companies realize that we were not gonna be open one day and closed another. And that certainty is something that CEOs and executives really place a big focus on 
And I think that that has a lot to do with why, why these companies have moved here. In addition to the fact that technology allows you to do business anywhere, and when they saw the bigger household names and financial titans making the move to our area, it validated that Palm Beach was a competitive site. And certainly if, if others could do it, like Goldman Sachs and Citadel, 0.72 in Millennium, to name a few, then, it, then they certainly can make the move as well. Yeah. Now, along those lines, how you said the certainty of knowing that your business wouldn't be open one day and close another, did, did a lot of people comment on that as they were considering making the move when they were talking with you and other leaders in the community? I know that I just spoke with a realtor recently who said that he saw a lot of people from New York that were moving because they just simply wanted to have their old lifestyle back. They wanted to be able to go out to eat. So on the other end, I'm sure those restaurants wanted the certainty that they'd be able able to be open. Did you see that in the particular markets you're talking about, especially when it comes to lending, fintech and stuff like that? CEOs did comment that the certainty was a big factor in their decision to locate here. I would also uh, state that a lot of these executives were very familiar with Palm Beach County. Either they vacationed here, they had family Mm -hmm. here, or maybe they had a second home here. And so our area was not foreign to them. Many of them probably thought that they were coming here because they knew that restaurants and retail were open. And then they looked around and said, why not just move my business here or a portion of the business here? And so they started looking around for commercial office real estate to set up something maybe a little small and ended up signing longer term leases and larger footprints. But the openness of our businesses was a very big factor. And they were not afraid that our governor or that our county commission or our city mayors would be shutting down uh, operations uh, the very next day. Um, Mask and shutting down and um, some of the things that are required in other states is very foreign to us here in Florida. In 2022, we saw the market in many parts of the country start to normalize after the spring selling season. Interest rates went up as the Federal Reserve tried to control inflation. In October, I had the privilege of attending the National Association of Real Estate Editors Conference. There, we heard about the top issues facing residential and commercial real estate from William McCarthy from the Counselors of Real Estate. He of course, spoke about interest rates and inflation. Um, Inflation dictates interest rates, interest rates dictate inflation. So the supply of money and the availability of that money is the X factor right now. With regards to the inflation uh, rate and interest rates, we're speculating. There's a lot of comments if you read business um, about your colleagues work and forecasting even by the Fed, interest rates are supposed to go up a little bit more, level and then come down. Is that kind of the narrative that you've been reading about? But who knows if that's going to be true or not? And what happens in the interim if interest rates continue to go up and or if they level off? Well, we live in a consumption society. Um, The generation before me was, what can I afford? Current generation is what can we make payments on? 
And the interest rate bump and what that did to your credit and your creditability has been quite startling. And it's basically, you take that down to the micro level, which means your individual people, to your um, family, through your business, all the way up to your governance. Um, one of the big concerns to watch about is what you call your adjustable rate mortgages, because uh, those are the most, uh, those are the most um, uh, affected by rate changes. That's about 10% of your market right now. About 10% of Americans were carrying these rate mortgages. In Canada, we call them variable rate mortgages, and about 20% of our population was carrying those. When you had historic interest rates, good, but now they're going up. So if cheap money is going to be restricted or maybe a thing of the past, we have to worry about what the impact of that is going to be. Lenders have shown innovation during the normalization, reaching out to potential home buyers in different ways. Some of these programs were promoted as a way to make up for potential losses. Others were already in the works. For example, leaders at Lenders One Cooperative are opening branch locations in select Walmart stores. The company, established in 2000, is a national alliance of independent mortgage brokers, banks, and credit unions. President Justin DeMola said in an interview that Walmart is an interesting opportunity for them and their members, and the timing lined up nicely. The project started two years ago when the mortgage market was buzzing. Walmart has a great reach. You know, each store has millions of individual transactions on an annual basis, and it's not necessarily a demographic that Family First or any of our Lenders One members are used to reaching uh, to really get a help with affordable home ownership or government loans. And customers that may not feel that they're mortgage ready, that we can educate them to bring them into a home. This fall, leaders at Rocket Mortgage announced a conventional loan option for people who are interested in purchasing or refinancing a manufactured home. Manufactured homes are built at indoor home building facilities and then delivered to the land where the owner will live. It is estimated that 22 million Americans live in manufactured homes, and this building type accounts for 9% of new home construction. Bill Banfield, EVP of Capital Markets at Rocket Mortgage, talked with us about why they decided to get back into that lending space and whether or not it will help the housing crisis. I mean, it's amazing the amount of lead flow that we get that is for manufactured homes. And, and so as we built that out, got a little more robust, that's when we officially made the announcement that we we're back into it. And, uh, and, uh, and so it was really just an initiative to try to get back into the space we had been before. Um, and, and, you know, in this market right now with home prices going up and up, uh, trying to create innovative options to help people mm -hmm. afford homes. And to a certain extent, by, by providing access to credit, you're helping people access um, additional types of homes. And um, so that, that was kind of our philosophy behind it. Okay. And what has the response been so far since you've made your announcement? Well, you know, I just think it's important to understand that, you know, not everybody's buying the $370,000 or $450,000 home. And there's a wide spectrum of homes that are out there. And, um, and look, it's been, it's been surprising to us um, how much lead flow we get to, 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 from clients looking to refinance or to buy homes in this space, specific to manufactured homes. So it's been, it's been very good so far. And what is a typical mortgage going to look like for some of these manufactured homes? I mean, is there a price range? Is there a price cap? I know there's a certain amount of money that they have to put down the buyers. 
Yeah, so what, what we launched was the Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac options available um, for, for these clients. Um, you know, we're seeing loan sizes that are just under 200,000, so they're about 185,000 on average. Mm-hmm. And um, they're available on a purchase up to 5% down. And what's a little different about manufactured homes is if you do a cash out refinance, the maximum LTV is 65 and the term is capped out at 20 years. And it's because the collateral is a little different. Typically, it doesn't appreciate the same as a single family home. And so there's some controls in place from a credit perspective to make sure that we're putting a client in a good spot. All right. Now, prior to you joining us on the line, uh, we were talking a little bit about how there's a lot of pressure on builders um, because there is such a, a housing shortage, a, a housing crisis, really, some people will describe it as. Is, do you think that this will help to alleviate some of those concerns that people have from local leaders right on up through the top officials in Washington? Well, I don't think this topic of manufactured homes is going to be the tip of the spear. Um, you've got a massive supply and demand imbalance right now. And while with interest rates going up and home sales declining slightly. What's interesting is to watch inventory levels and what's happening there. And right now they've been flat month over month on existing home sales. Um, you know, builders building new homes helps uh, even in the multifamily space. And so I think part of the way you look at it is that there's this massive ecosystem of where people live, how they want to live and manufactured homes is a part of that. And so to be able to help provide financing there, again, you're providing liquidity, you're helping people get lower payments. And I think it helps, um, you know, but there's a lot of different factors that go into everything happening with our housing supply right now. When you think about um, this program, is it is it something that's offered in every state? Are you expanding it? What, what stage are you in with it? Yeah, we went live nationwide and um, you know, interestingly, we're seeing, uh, you know, California is top of the list. And, and when you think about home prices in California, it's, it's, it's no surprise that some home buyers are selecting manufactured homes in the area. And so, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to depend really on the population and where manufactured homes are more common. But, uh, you know, the, the building standards now for manufactured homes, especially newer ones, are um, surprisingly it's good and I would challenge some people would walk into these and not understand is it a manufactured home, a modular, or a single family? I mean, some of them are, are of that, that quality. Okay, and what makes you say that? I think it's the, the, the feel of the home. I think come a long way. Sometimes when people think of what manufactured looks like, they're reflecting back and probably things that they saw from decades ago and the, and the higher standards of building right now are um, and make them make them feel just of a higher quality and, and uh, uh, closer to a single family. One thing that has been widely reported on is the disparity between races when it comes to home ownership. Leaders at Guild have partnered with the National Association of Hispanic Real Estate Professionals as part of their commitment to diversity and inclusion. Jorge Montoya, branch manager at Guild in Reno, Nevada, told us that the initiative is more than just about home ownership. It's about helping Latino families create wealth. It's been great because we're not just giving you like a home loan. 
Mm-hmm. Like we're, we're giving you a home loan and then we're like educating you. Okay, now you got a house Now we should probably talk about establishing a trust and establishing a will and what that looks like because in the Latino community, we don't talk about these things. Mm-hmm. Sex, money, politics. <laughs> we don't talk about these things. And, and especially estate planning. And if you take a look at the, uh, the NAREP's uh, state of the Hispanic uh, wealth report that they do annually, the numbers are there. Like our, our education numbers are, are not as high as they could be. Our income levels are not as high as they could be. Our um, the percentage of people owning their own business is increasing, but it's not expanding. So I think because as a company, like on the bigger level as a company, and then on the ground level, which is where I come in, we've really focused on educating the Latino clientele about not, it's not just getting a mortgage, but it's like getting a mortgage with a plan. And what is that plan? Is this going to be the forever plan? Is this going to be the starter home that gets you to the next thing? Um, and, and that's, in my opinion, how we've earned the trust because we're, we're giving more than what's, what we're called to do. You know what I mean? What do you say to people that say, well, the system's against me. I can get all the education in the world that I want, but I'm still going to run into a lot of this stuff. There has to be systematic change. So the, there is part, the, the system is kind of against you, the truth. And here's why I say that. In the last two years, the FHA buyer and the VA buyer were the most discriminated against nationwide mm-hmm. because there was this like super crazy demand, right? Mm -hmm. the Latino community relies heavily on FHA. So then now the seller is now saying, well, I don't want the FHA buyer. I don't want the VA buyer. But here's here's the, the question I would ask you now. The seller is generally not a real estate expert. Mm -hmm. So why do they think that FHA and VA buyers are not the best buyers? So in my opinion, is the practitioner is probably saying, hey, let's not consider these buyers because they're weak buyers, because that's the misconception. Let's go with the conventional versus the FHA. Does that make sense? housing market normalizes, some investors are saying it's time to find other real estate investments. Doug Ressler, business intelligence manager at Yardy Matrix, talked with us about the future of cities and how developers are adapting existing structures to maximize their opportunities. Well, we see a combination of different things. You have uh, people that are developing asset classes from office into residential. They're also being developed into life science and data centers. Uh, What we have found is that older buildings, primarily C-type office buildings, uh, are more adaptable than what we call the Bs and the trophy offices that were built uh, just five or ten years ago. So one has to take that into account and look at that. He said multifamily and industrial properties currently present the least amount of risk. When you look at the the type of investment risk, the multifamily and industrial uh, for the last uh, year and a half and for the next year and a half going forward uh, have presented the least risk in terms of investment potential. 
uh, for investors. Uh, so what you see is uh, investors trying to add to their portfolio, portfolio just like anyone else would. In other words, I've got stocks, I need some bonds, things like that. So you would look at adding less risk type of assets to your portfolio, like multifamily, which is very good because the demand is there. It's growing, it's very strong, it's very robust. And so uh, the ability to invest and have the demand constant there and provide a service, goods or services for a consumer is very positive with a low amount of risk. In addition, uh, the same thing holds true for industrial with the reshoring and the supply chain. We look forward to seeing what 2023 and beyond brings us. As I said at the beginning of this podcast, we want to hear from you. Please feel free to email me at info at Once again, my name is Kimberly Hawes. Have a great day.